0: Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large Bill Crystal. I'm Eric Felton. Bill, you're joining us by Skype from New York City. How are you? I'm
1: fine, thanks. How are you?
0: Doing well. You know, we're on audio. We're taping here, so I guess it's not It's not the White House.
1: Yeah, that's a good. good point. You know, I, uh, that's kind of amazing for a president of the United States. Well, maybe we're taping, maybe we're not. No, we're not taping, but it was useful gimmick to make comey tell the truth Why is i mean it's sort of bizarre what what is now trump's view now that comey told the truth when testifying to congress and therefore um uh did the trump in fact said to comey go easy on flynn or or um uh, uh i need your loyalty i mean Anyway, I guess Trump's effective in a way at distracting everyone. But it would be interesting if some reporter, I think he had an interview this morning on Fox and Friends, some reporter should just say, let me cut through all this, and just ask you a direct question, which I don't think he's actually been asked or certainly not answered. Did you ask Comey for loyalty? Did you tell him to go easy on Flynn? Yes or no? You know, But he's got everyone talking about these mythical tapes.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about the tapes is it seems to be a sort of tactics versus strategy Um, kind of thing, where there's the tactical move of making everybody wonder whether you have tapes, and so you have to think about what you say because it may may be a tape to turn up. But on the strategic level, putting out the notion that you're doing something Nixonian, which is taping your your White House conversations, just doesn't seem to be like a good big picture move to make.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And also... I think if you just step back, and say, well, what's going on? He's either innocent or not, you know? And if he's innocent, he surely doesn't think he'll be found innocent. I mean, they're not going to make up stuff about him, you know, no matter how suspicious he is of Mueller or even Comey. And so people are going to testify under oath. We're going to find out what we're going to find out. I think people who are innocent in these uh, types of investigations usually say, let the truth come out. And they may not like the investigation. They may worry about uh, Comey being biased and so forth, but, Look at Reagan and Iran Contra would be a good example. It was an unpleasant investigation, and it did bring down people around Reagan, fairly or unfairly, I think unfairly in many cases. That might happen in this case, too. At the end of the day, Reagan apparently hadn't done anything wrong and hadn't known about the one or two things that were wrong that were done, and that was that. And it's hard to see why he just doesn't take that attitude unless, unless he's worried that he did edge up to the line of obstructing justice or and I think this is a little more possible than a lot of other conservatives do, that there was collusion. I mean, not maybe, you know, Trump didn't talk to Putin and decide, let's fix the election, but he knew a little more. He knew from some of his aides of conversations with Russians that in retrospect at least are inappropriate, if not illegal. I don't know. Trump seems awfully nervous about this. For a guy who was allegedly just innocent and it's a fake news investigation and a hoax, Trump seems awfully nervous about it.
0: Well, this week there seemed to be actual legislation moving around the Hill, maybe not uh, in the process yet, but uh, a health care bill. Have you read the bill?
1: Yeah, well, we urge people in the editorial to read the bill. It's only 140 pages, so it's a little more readable. I've read summaries of the bill. I haven't read it myself, which is why I'm actually not particularly opining on it at this point and why I'm sort of amused that everyone else has already firm opinions, that it's a huge uh advance or 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 uh retreat in terms of American health insurance and health care. I think it's a little crazy, uh, uh something this important to release it on Thursday, I guess, and there's still no CBO score and there's been no normal hearings or markup on it. There it's not as if there aren't committees that have experts that have could have experts testify and debate this and rush it to a vote. I I s I don't know that McConnell's really going to rush it to a vote. He may want to just say we tried and he'll pull it next week and fail and then move on to other topics, but it's a pretty bad process, honestly, and it's not—it's a little embarrassing. Republicans control the presidency and Congress. Republicans can do things as they choose in terms of educating the public, making the case, getting counsel, uh, et cetera, on any piece of legislation they want. And for, to go through the process they've gone through in the House and the Senate, I say, as a Republican and a conservative, whose whose magazine, The Weekly Standard, has published a million articles critical of Obamacare and calling for a conservative replacement. This process is kind of an embarrassment, and it's not working politically. I mean, if you never explain to the public what's in the bill, if you don't take a few weeks or months and have experts go out and get on TV and radio and write op-eds, at least fight yourself to some kind of draw in public opinion, then it just, you know, people are going to protest, and there's going to be some talking points, and they'll use Donald Trump calling the House bill mean, and everyone will just decide, ugh, this isn't a very good bill, and that's one reason they don't want it
0: debated. So is there a sense, though, that uh, if this is to have any chance, it has to be on some ex- expedited process because opposition will build over time?
1: But what does that tell you? I mean, that's a ridiculous reason to pass something. If, opposition, if, if, if they are so – if controlling the presidency in Congress, they're so incapable of preventing opposition from building over time, uh, that's not a good sign.
0: And I also wonder, even if you do dive in and read the 142 pages of the bill, it, it isn't that the legislation is that much simpler than Obamacare, which was thousands of pages, because a single line may refer to, you know, change this word and that word in this line of federal code. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of complexity that goes on in even one line of legislation,
1: yeah, no, it's really – in some parts it is a replacement and repeal or probably really more of a sort of partial replacement and partial fix and partial repeal of Obamacare. It's as complicated in a way as Obamacare itself. And certainly evaluating its real-world consequences is complicated. And again, I come back to this. The Republicans are treating it or at least a lot of the commentaries treating it as if this is all symbolic politics. Like we're at a campaign. You propose X. I propose Y. We have a debate. Ooh, I'm going to get off Y soon. because Y is a bad issue for me and get on to Z. This is legislation. If, if it passes the Senate and then goes back to the House and is passed and is signed by the President, it actually will go into effect. Now, some of it is delayed in terms of its effect. Most people's health care, health insurance, won't change overnight at all because most people have uh, corporate, employer-provided health insurance. Still, it will have real effects in the real world, and people need to be confident that those effects are. On the whole, for the better, they don't have to be confident that every single person in the country is helped by it. Obviously, there are winners and losers in almost every part, every piece of legislation. I don't know. Do Republican senators really, can they get up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm comfortable with passing this? Because I think at the end of the day, it's going to make our health insurance system better. I, I've seen almost none of them make that argument. So I think, and this is what we argue in the editorial, it's a little nuts to sort of rush it through if they're not willing to stand. Whatever you think of a cut bills or other kinds of legislation, deregulation, I think the people who vote for them, sincere, those bills sincerely believe, and I tend to as well often, that they will make things better for the country. They may not be perfect. They, they could be fixed later on. I don't know if people looked at this bill and really thought through, consulted with experts and thought through the implications for the rather complicated health insurance systems we have and concluded that this is good legislation. I, I, there's not much evidence
0: of that. And yet what there is evidence of is that Obamacare continues to be worse and worse and and as predicted it would be.
1: Right. So I think if I were running Congress, what I might do is have a bunch of hearings, including the architects of Obamacare and saying, what's going on? Doesn't this need to be fixed? They'll say, yes, it can be fixed in this way. Not the way you want to do it, Mr. Republican Senator, but this way. They say, oh, well, at least we're agreement now that there has to be something fixed. Now, let's debate your fix versus our repeal and replace. I mean, I just think there are ways to build at least, I don't think you're ever going to make this wildly popular. It's a very tough topic. It's easily demagogue. But there are ways to build some public consensus and public support uh, if you're engaging in this tough type of tough legislation, tough in the sense of difficult legislation. And I, the Republican Senate, Republican Congress has done none of those.
0: And yet the Republicans flailing legislatively has not killed them in the uh in the special elections that have been held so far this year.
1: Yeah that's interesting. I I mean I expected us also, also if the Democrats to do a little better down in, in Georgia six in the Atlanta suburbs. Um you know they're 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 not doing great the Republicans. I mean they're they're trailing their normal vote in almost all these elections. This was true in the South Carolina special also on Tuesday, by five, six, seven points, maybe more in some of these cases. But they're holding on to these seats, and there's not you don't see yet the kind of real tidal wave that you would want to see if you're a Democrat. Um, I think the Democrats have some real problems. I, the two that strike me from watching at a distance the Georgia 6 election is, one, I think Nancy Pelosi is more of a problem than, people, than I would have expected. I mean, I would have thought, fine, she's not that popular, but people don't usually vote on the Speaker of the House. But I think the, the Republican ads that just said, you voting voting for Ossoff is a vote for Pelosi. Uh, Pelosi is unpopular. That kind of big government liberal agenda she's associated with is pretty unpopular. Um, she's very much you know she's in her 70s and is, you know, was Speaker 10 years ago, and there's a little bit of that kind of sentiment. Of, Isn't it time for a change? So I, I think uh, I think that's hurting the Democrats. And secondly, they don't have a concrete positive agenda at all. I mean, they lost the 2016 election when Hillary Clinton didn't bother developing much of a agenda she or at least didn't spend much time on it uh they, they were busy to trying to disqualify trump um and you know so what's the democratic plan to fix obamacare what's the democratic plan for tax reform I, you could look awfully hard and not find one there's no legislation introduced there's no not much talking about it um they need to they should forget about trump honestly at this point this investigation we'll learn what we learn trump is not helping himself most of the time the democrats should really do again i hate to sound like a. It's like a broken record, but also sort of like some old fashioned person. I mean, you know, there are I I remember the day when if you were in Congress you through the minority party, you had meetings, you called in, you called in experts, you did town halls and you said, "Okay, here's our alternate piece of legislation. Here's what we would do if we were in power. I think Ossoff was hurt by never really being able to say that.
0: Well, there was a sense of Trump rage plus Hollywood and Silicon Valley money would do the trick. And um, Trump rage doesn't seem to have done the trick. And the interesting thing about money is you can only put together these kind of massive fundraising efforts when you're in a special election. Once there's the general election and you've got, um, you know, hundreds of seats to defend and contest, you can't funnel all your money into one or two seats.
1: No, that's a good point, Eric. And I think, that also should worry the Democrats a little. Having said all that, having said all that, if you talk to political scientists, they'll say the approval rating of a president uh, in his first two years, if his party controls Congress, uh, is a pretty good proxy for how the midterm election will come out. It's going to be a referendum about a Republican president and a Republican Congress primarily. And Trump's at whatever, 38, 40%. That's not horrible. You, can, you could hang on to most of the seats. They will hang on to most of the seats that way. You'll probably lose some seats that way it's It's not good though, I mean, so I'd be nervous if I were a Republican congressman in a swing seat. I think they're kind of on the bubble of losing the majority at this point if the election were held tomorrow but uh i'm I am a little struck that the Democrats haven't taken as much advantage as I would have expected of the combination of Trump not being very popular, the Republican Congress not having achieved anything much so far uh and the one major piece of legislation that's advanced through one house that is now pending in the other, the health care bill being quite unpopular
0: are republicans getting complacent having won these uh special elections not overwhelmingly but really by better margins than the polls had predicted
1: yeah they shouldn't they may be getting a little complacent and they certainly shouldn't be because we're very early it's six months in what are we uh you know 16 months away i think from election day in 2018 and you can easily write scenarios where things don't get better, they get worse. I mean, think of it this way. The economy's been pretty good. The stock market's very strong. Unemployment's low. No major foreign crises. Uh, even so, the party in power is kind of hanging on, you know. So what if something, if we hit a couple of roadblocks as a country, a couple of uh, speed bumps as a country, and then probably the incumbent, you know, the the, the Republicans are the Party in power. I mean, they, they're probably benefiting a little bit still from being the, the the opposition to Obama, an alternative to Obama, an alternative to Pelosi. But at some point, I suspect this becomes a little more straight up or down vote on how are Trump and the Republican Congress doing. And, you know, if the economy stays strong and unemployment stays low, you could have a lot of missteps by Trump and Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and still make it through a midterm. If if you hit speed bumps with the economy or foreign policy, uh, or major scandals turn out to be if they turn out to be real scandals, not, you know, alleged scandals. And then I think you're looking at a different situation. So I would not be at all complacent as a Republican. I think Trump is still a big problem, really. Uh, you know, every other president, except for Clinton, in his first six months has been more popular than Trump. And Clinton uh, eventually recovered. But meanwhile, the Democrats had a horrible election in 1994. So I, I would still be more inclined to think the Democrats will do well than not. In 2018, but it is striking how that they lack a message, and uh, they don't seem to be working particularly hard. Some of the younger members want to develop one, but you don't see much, much help for that from the leadership.
0: Well, the leadership, um, you know, isn't exactly full of youthful verve and energy. Right.
1: Right. It's amazing. I mean, have we ever been in this kind of situation? I mean, it's like, uh, I guess one thinks of American politics in the old days with all these kind of old stirs who never, you know, they were safe in office, drinking martinis in Washington and, you know, and running Congress. In I'm 70s. all in favor
0: of the drinking martinis part. No, I know
1: I, that was that was right in your wheelhouse there, you know, and, and running Congress in the 70s and 80s. But here we are in 21st century America, iPhones, high tech, blah, blah, blah. And it's, in fact, a whole bunch of people in their 70s running, running uh, all parts of the government.
0: Well, that's it for the Crystal Clear podcast today. Be sure to tune in every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for joining us, Bill. Thanks, Eric. Catch you next week.